You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on in to the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're getting ready for the rivalry game with BYU and Utah. And we talk with Jeff Hansen from CougarSportsInsider.com to talk about the BYU Cougars. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And Scott. Hey, you fans. Yes, it's rivalry week, baby. Let's do this. So with the season kicking off, we want to do an over-under game. I'll kind of throw out some random stats to you guys, and we'll decide if it's over and under. So the first one, Moss rushes for 1,600 yards. Give me the over. Give me the over on that bad boy. Got the I'm going to go with six, 1,601. <laughs> <laughs> it's the closest without going over, Scott. I want to win both showcases. <laughs> Ryan, where are you going? I'm going to go under because I know this guy who knows a doctor that said, based on the cast that he's wearing, he's broken the fourth and fifth metatarsal, and he's going to be out for a few games. I love that tweet that someone had. (laughs) Wow. Did did this doctor, uh, was he at uh, 21 flavors? (laughs) 21 or 31? They only had 21 here. (laughs) Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go. Obviously, this all depends if he's healthy or not, but I'm going to say he is healthy. I'm going to say over. I'm going to go with the under. I think with the talent. Well, I just think with the talent that's with the running backs, I think they're going to shoulder a lot of the load uh, with with the other guys, especially Jordan Wilmore. Um, So I I think he'll get close to 1,500. He might pass that, but 16, I think, might be kind of pushing it. Okay, on to the next one. At the end of the postseason, Utah will win 12 and a half games. Oof, that's that's a high high number there. I'm going to go with... um, I'm going with the under on that one because I think uh, I think they're going to end the season with 11 or 12 wins. Getting that 13th win, that's I mean that's that's pretty rarefied air. You're going to have to I mean essentially you're going to have to lose one game and win the Pac-12 and your bowl game in order to get that. So I'm going to I think when all is said and done, they'll be in the 11 to 12 range. I mean, I want to say over, but I think it's going to be under. I don't think as much as I want that. I just don't. I don't think that's happening. I think that just under twelve. I agree with you guys. I think Utah will end up with the in the eleven or twelve range. So I'll take the under as well. On the next one, Solomon Enos will have five hundred receiving yards. I'm going to go over. Wow. I think he's. Gonna, I think he's going to have a uh, a fairly big year over five hundred. Yeah, I mean, because it's kind of a tough one because 500 yards in a season is not, I mean, it's not even packed, all Pac-12 level yardage. So it's really not out of out of this world by any means. But at the same time, we just don't have a lot of receivers historically that uh, that are going over that. So, but I'm going to say he will be one uh, one the guy. We will have multiple, but he will be one that will have over 500 yards receiving. I'm going to take the under for the 500. Um, I think his his production will be up from last year. Uh, but I don't know until Utah can prove that they can have a, a wide receiver outside of Covey that can be consistent. 
uh, I, I just can't take 500 yards um, from a receiver outside of, outside of Britain. Uh, Jeez, you're a hater, dude. I'm not a hater. Hey, Debbie Downer. All right, so moving along. Huntley will throw for 17 and a half touchdowns. I think he does it, and I'm really excited to see how he does the half. But um, <laughs> I, 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 I think he's going to do it. I think this is going to be a big year. Obviously, he's got to stay healthy, and, and he's got he's to play in every game. But I, I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see. Obviously, you know, we all know we're going to run the ball. We're going to pound the ball. But I really think there's going to be a big play ability in the passing game because of the run game and with what Ludwig is going to do. So I think. I think. I think um, Huntley is in for a big year. Scott Mitchell, the color man for uh, the uh, ESPN 700 broadcast. He's got Huntley projected to be the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. So there's, you know, there's definitely some, at least from the inside, some big expectations from Huntley. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say over. I think that's a, probably a fair number, but I think it's going to be slightly less. Not much, but slightly less. I'm thinking like 16, so I'm going to go under. Now, who's the hater now? I'm going to go over. I think he does it. I think... All those same reasons, Scott. I think with a more experienced OC, he's going to be able to protect Huntley a little bit better in his play calling. And obviously, the injuries with with Huntley have been kind of like freak accidents, you know, uh, blindside hits and whatnot. But I think they're going to help reduce the hits that he's taking, so he'll be healthier um, throughout the season. So I'm going to go the over on that one. Moving over, I think to the- Cameron's just perfect. I think Cameron's just choosing against me on purpose. <laughs> Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, Bradley and I will have nine and a half sacks. Mm, I think uh, I think Anai is going to have double digits this year. I, I mean, you just look at this defensive line. You got Lecky right next to him. You got Penasini, um, Mika Tafua on the other end, um, and Max Tupai. I mean, there's just so much talent. You're not going to be able to double team at least consistently throughout games. All of these guys, and so. He's going to have his opportunities. He came back for a senior year for a, for a reason. Uh, I, 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 I see a huge year from uh, from Anaya. I think I think he's got ten plus. I'll take the over as well. I mean, school record wise, I think uh, that goes to uh, Orchard. What that year he had eighteen plus, but I, don't, I, don't, I think that's probably a stretch. But I'm thinking maybe twelve, thirteen. Yeah, I think uh, definitely taking the over on that. Uh, he had eight last year, which led the league. Um, but obviously, I think he's he's. I think he's going to be even better this year. So definitely taking the over on nine and a half. Blackman will have three and a half picks for the season. Mm-hmm. Yikes! That's the first tough. Over that's on the first that tough one. one. I'm going, going over. Over he's, what? He, Where are you coming gonna, from on the over on that? He's he's got a. He's going to be have a breakout year in his new position. <laughs> oh, Ryan and his breakouts. <laughs> well, to get he only has to get four to get to over three and a half. So oh, is like that how this works? Is that how this works? <laughs> it's not that much of a stretch. It's like, like it's not like I said he's going to get ten. Relax. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to go with the under on that. I just I don't see it. I, I think he's going to have a you know a couple. Maybe get to three. I don't think he gets to four. He could have um, three in the first game. Good. 
<laughs> it's and, his cousin and, playing QB. Come on. I'm going to go with the over on that. I think Blackman gets at least four. Uh, to, to round it out. So uh, Cameron goes to the over and you don't give him grief, but I get all the grief. <laughs> no, I really like what I saw Blackman in, in spring at the safety position. Obviously, we can't see him at all in the fall. Uh, but with his knowledge uh, of playing cornerback, now moving to safety, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year. I, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on it, so I'm going to take the over on that. And then the last one, we're kind of having a little fun with this one. Utah will make four and a half field goals over 40 yards on the year. Yeah, going at the under on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. I, I think I'm going to... Oh. Our kicking prowess is over. I mean, four and so we need. So I'm, I'm going to go with the over on this. I'm going to go with the over on this. I think I think uh, Strouch, the 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 south southpaw. I, I think he can make five over forty. I, now <clears throat> I'm hoping he doesn't have to all that often, but uh, I'll go with the over on that one. I'm going to go with the under. Uh, I mean, obviously the the two kickers that are are fighting for the starting job. We haven't seen because they didn't come in till after spring. Uh, but from what we saw, I, I'm going to take the under on that. All right, so that'll kind of do it for our over/under game. Looks like we have Jeff Hansen from CougarSportsInsider.com uh, on the phone. And before we bring him on, I'll let you know that that interview is brought to you by our sponsors with Double Tree Suites by Hilton in Salt Lake City. They're located at 110 West, 600 South. Give them a call at 801-359-7800. And they are the preferred hotel of the Pac-12 teams when they come into Salt Lake. So joining us on the phone now is Jeff Hansen from CougarSportsInsider.com. Jeff, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So I think where I want to start off with kind of our line of questioning with BYU is Utah-BYU met the last regular season of last year, but where has BYU had their biggest improvement since Utah fans saw them? Yeah, that's a really good question. So BYU, I mean, what, they, what they've what they struggled with, really, I mean, it's the same story for a couple of decades now, is, is depth, right? And, and when BYU and Utah play at the end of the year, uh, I think we saw, especially in that second half, uh, a situation where BYU was having to trot guys out that really, uh, they really didn't have any business being on the field, right? I mean, guys like walk-ons, like Matthew Criddle is a true freshman, that had to come in and replace uh, Isaiah Kafusi. I mean, that was a that was a huge step down in terms of production, talent, uh, and readiness for BYU. So they've improved in a, in several different areas, but I think that the biggest area that will be different from a Utah perspective is that it's week one and BYU is relatively healthy. They're they're coming out of fall camp. There's been a few minor injuries and then a, a couple of big season-ending injuries to guys who are going to be, you know, third or fourth, uh, third or fourth on the depth chart. So the biggest difference is that at the beginning of the year, BYU's ones and twos, they're, they're really good. And so I think that's, that's probably the biggest area of where they've improved since they played Utah last. Uh, if we look like year over year, um, I, I think that it's safe to say that the defensive line is, is, is better this year. Kyrus Tonga has really looked great so far this fall. He, he, uh, 
he really took his, uh, I mean, his off season really, really seriously. He he recognized that he was a a guy who was really kind of a situational defensive lineman last year. He was really good when he was on the field, but he wasn't in shape long, or in good enough shape, I should say, to stay on the field for three consecutive downs. That's changed. He's he shed about 20 pounds. He really looks explosive off the line of scrimmage. Uh, there's several other guys. Lorenzo Salatea is a guy I'm really high on going into this year. He's always had kind of that dog in him. I mean, he just he's a football player, and he's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger this year going into his redshirt sophomore year. Uh, I think he's going to do really well. And I think the overall depth of the defensive line is improved. So if we're looking at a specific position group, that's the group that I look at the most, but really from a Utah perspective, BYU is just healthy. If Isaiah Kafusi goes down this year, or if a, a running back goes down this year, they're not just turning to walk-ons because their their depth depth has been decimated throughout the season. They're turning to guys who are also scholarship players. I mean, they really have one or two one or two deep at most positions. It's you know once they get into game seven, eight, and nine every year, and they start having to go into the number three and number four, that's when BYU really gets into trouble. Jeff, I mean this this off season, you know, Utah's Utah's been getting a lot of a lot of hype and a, a lot of national recognition for. For, you know the the talent level, the experience that Utah brings back off of last year's team. You know, and the defensive line is kind of the the hallmark of that, uh, getting a lot of a lot of pub. But you know, I think one of the strengths BYU brings a, a lot back on the offensive line. So talk to us a little bit about that matchup. Is as as I see, it's probably the two biggest strengths of each team going to be battling it out on offensive line and the defensive line of Utah. Yeah, I think so. I think BYU's offensive line is really, really good. Uh, I think that there's been a little bit of a, I'm not going to say a misconception, but maybe a misunderstanding uh, from a BYU fan perspective of, of really what made the offensive line good last year. And Jeff Grimes has alluded to this uh, on several different occasions in both the spring and throughout fall camp that his, his offensive line group was really good last year for an inexperienced group. They still made a lot of mistakes and, and there were, you know, there were too many false starts. They had a few too many holding penalties. And there were some games that from just a consistency standpoint, they were downright awful compared to where they were the week before. Uh, if you look at their, their, their production throughout the year, it was really, really good. But there was always that caveat that it's, well, they're so young, they're really good for their age. They're really good for the lack of experience that they have. What Grimes has said this year, and really what I see, is that if that group were to come back this year and perform at the same level that they did last year, it would be a disappointment because of the inconsistency and because of some of those mistakes. Uh, what we're, what Jeff Grimes with the coaching staff is really hoping to see from the offensive line this year is a, an increased, an elevated level of play every single week. So it's really interesting to me. I, I do think you're right. I think that BYU's offensive line is the strength of their offense, but I'm really curious to see how they, uh, how they're able to take a step forward and improve in, in terms of consistency. And when I think of that opening week matchup against Utah, and Utah's two, three, sometimes four deep at some of those D-line positions, that's a really, really tough battle. So it will be uh, kind of baptism by fire for BYU's offensive line, and they will be tested right away to see if they if they have improved and if they can't clean up some of those mistakes. Uh, and there's no better test in the country than against Utah's defensive line. 
So, Jeff, you kind of are talking about the offensive line. Um, and I immediately go, my mind, with, with the running game. And, and BYU bringing in a new running back, a grad transfer, Tyson Williams. What are the expectations for him going into the season? Man, uh, the fan expectations for him are sky high right now. And, and really, it comes down to he is a different type of athlete than what BYU typically has at running back. Even going back to Jamal Williams, I mean, Jamal Williams is a stud, and, and I don't think that Tyson, the expectations for him are to come in and be Jamal Williams. But the type of player that they are is different. I mean, Tyson has some really uh, he's really shifty he's really quick and i personally i think that the best part about his game is his pass blocking he is really really good in pass pro i think from a coach's perspective the the expectations for tyson are to come in and to share the workload with lopini katua and and emmanuel asupa those three guys uh, are really going to be kind of a three-headed monster they they bring uh, they bring they, each of them, I guess, brings a different skill set. Lopini Katoa, he's really good out of the backfield catching the ball. He's a threat in the pass game. He's a great straight line runner. He he hit, he has good vision. He sees the holes and he hits the holes hard. He he isn't the start you know the start stop guy. He isn't the shifty guy that's going to make a ton of dudes miss. But he'll hit a hole as hard as anybody in the country. I mean, he he really is good. Tyson is super shifty. I mean, he'll go in and he'll he'll make it. He'll try to create something out of nothing. He's great in pass pro. And then uh, Isupa, he's a grad transfer who's who's new to the program from Rice. He's just kind of that big bowling ball. He's he's got better speed than I think people realize, and he's going to be that short yardage back. Uh, so from uh, like I say, from a, a game plan, from a coach's perspective, all three of those guys are going to play, and I would be really surprised, frankly, if any one of them has more than 15 carries. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if each of them had you know somewhere between 10 and 12 carries in any given game. All right, so enough of these, enough of this breakdown, right? Let's get to <laughs> let's get to the kind of the nitty gritty. So Utah right now eight an eight game winning streak against BYU. From 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 the BYU side of things, right? Obviously, this fan base is 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 hungry and desperate for a win. You know, the the, the players, the coaching staff, just BYU in general. Ha, has this has this streak created extra pressure, and and has that pressure kind of hindered BYU as they as they continue to match up against Utah? Just is that streak hanging over them? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's something that, you know, I constantly go back and forth and I see multiple answers to this question. Um, on one hand, yes. I mean, unequivocally, yes, because this is the focus when, when these, you know, these players go to class, it's all about Utah. Kind of a funny story. Tyson Williams, he announced he was committing and, and transferring to BYU on his Instagram feed and a bunch of BYU fans jumped on and they started following him on Instagram he did one of those Q and a sessions. They asked me anything, whatever it is that they do on Instagram. And he was just inundated with comments and feedback about how you must beat Utah, go beat Utah, just beat Utah to the point that after, you know, after about a dozen of them, he responded and was like, guys, I'm not talking about Utah. There's 11 more games. <laughs> like he, he had no idea how big of a deal this was from a fan perspective. So yes, fans are absolutely putting the pressure on this team to go out and win. And I think you saw that even from a media perspective at at BYU's media day. Uh, I think that those players, they were kind of baited into a lot of answers that are going to end up on, you know, in the locker room at Utah this year. 
because every question that they got was about the rivalry game, about the streak, about, you know, you were up by 20 in the third quarter last year. What happened? I mean, it was just a constant barrage, a barrage of Utah related questions. So on that hand, absolutely. It's creating extra pressure from the team, from players, coaches, people that I've talked to that are, you know, are closely affiliated with the team. A lot of those guys don't really see the urgency. I don't want, I don't know if I, I say that they know it's a rivalry game. They know they need to win this game, but they don't feel the pressure of a decade's worth of losses. If that makes sense. Right. Kalani Sataki was on the other side just four years ago. And I, I mean, he, he won, uh, five of the eight games, right? Zach Wilson was a Utah fan for a long time. And he, he, in his eyes, he won seven out of the last eight rivalry games. Right. And so I don't think that the players feel that same kind of pressure when they're with each other. I don't think that they'll feel that same kind of pressure going into the game. Uh, I think they've done a really good job of kind of secluding themselves from as best as they can from, from fans and from media, Honestly, I think if this game were to be played in, you know, week four or five, when when school was in session and these guys were on campus and and around all of the student body all the time, I think the pressure would be very real. But because it's week one, school hasn't really started yet. They've been able to kind of just be a football team and be by themselves. I think that the, the team has stayed away from that pressure as, as much as they can. We're talking with Jeff Hansen from CougarSportsInsider.com. Now, Jeff, a Last year, I was a big fan of Corbin Kafusi. You know, I thought he's a great player. He's got tremendous size. Uh, he was very productive for BYU last year, and I think, I think he led the team in sacks. Now that he's moving on and he's graduated, he's in the NFL. Who do you see on the defense can replace the production that Corbin was giving the Cougars? Yeah, so Corbin Kafusi last year, year, and you're absolutely right. I mean, he was. Uh, he was big. He was, I think he's six, nine. He was a center on the basketball team for the first two years of his athletic career. I mean, the dude, the dude was a really unique defensive end. Um, in terms of who's going to replace that production, I think that the production will come from kind of a, uh, it will come differently. So uh, BYU has a, a mess of defensive ends that were fairly highly recruited and, and they should, they should be able to play well. Uh, Zach Daw is a guy that it's not a sexy name. Uh, he's a guy out of Pleasant Grove who didn't have a ton of offers out of high school, but was fairly highly rated. I believe on 24 seven sports, he was close to an 85 rating. So he was a really solid three-star guy. He's really turned some heads in camp. He's going to do well. Uh, Uriah Leatawa out of Compton, California. He, he was formerly a, a Stanford commit that flipped to BYU on signing day. He's healthy. He's battled some back injuries. He's there. Uh, the, the, he's going to have a, a shot at replacing some of that Kafusi production. And then Devin Kafusi. I mean, these Kafusis just keep coming. Coming. Uh, Corbin's little brother Devin is really similar in size, and he's had a great off season. And he looks really fast off the line. You could tell last year his feet were a little bit heavy. Uh, this going into this year, he looks really good. So I think that's where a lot of the production is going to come from in terms of uh, yeah on the field. Where BYU is going to really miss Corbin the most is the the leadership that Corbin brought into the locker room. The guy was the guy just loved BYU, and he would give anything to to just keep playing. Right? I mean, he gave everything that he had uh, before the Utah game. Two weeks before the Utah game, he had a, a season-ending uh, injury, and he actually missed the the UMass game the week before Utah. 
because of the season ending injury. Uh, he postponed surgery because he wanted to play one more time with his team. So he, he suited up for the Utah game on, I, I think it was a broken foot and he played really well for four quarters on a broken foot. And it was nothing but love of the game. And the team really reacted to that. I don't know how they're going to replace his presence and his leadership in the locker room. That's going to be a, I think a bigger hole than even his production on the field. So I believe eight years ago, B- or BYU went uh, went independent. Um, now, obviously, amongst BYU fans, there's there's quite the debate going on about independence. Has it been a good thing? Has it been a mistake? As a U fan, I've got my opinion, but nobody, no BYU fans really care for my opinion. Um, <laughs> From a BYU guy who's who's lived these last eight years, experienced uh, independence after leaving the Mountain West Conference. In your opinion, has this been a good decision, and 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 is it something that you think BYU is going to stay with and can and uh, can continue on and be successful with, or do you think they need to they need to find a, a new alternative? You know, I think uh, I, I think from BYU's point of view, they. It, P5 is the goal, right? G5 isn't isn't there and nobody's satisfied. Independence isn't there, nobody's satisfied. And so I think from a BYU point of view, what what the administrators, what Tom Homo, I mean, the decision that they have to make is, okay, ultimately we need to be a part of this P5. And if this whole super, super realignment and 64 teams, whatever that is, if that stuff happens, the mega conferences down the road, BYU has to be in a position that, they can be swooped up. So until that happens, if that ever happens, BYU just in their eyes, I think they just have to do whatever they can to survive that interim. Because if they go G five, uh, it still isn't. It still isn't the goal. They make a little bit less money. Fans still aren't happy because it's not P five, and the school up the road is. And no matter what BYU does, it's different. It's just a different level of college football. So I think I have maybe a different opinion that I, I, you're, you're right. I mean, the discussion among BYU fans is Mountain West Conference, American Conference, or Independence. And to me, none of those answers are the right answer. I mean, the answer is totally out of their control. They want to be P5. So at this point, I think Independence is a good move for BYU because it does it does allow them to make a little bit more money. It does allow them to have a little bit more exposure than they would have. And those are good things if all if the main goal is to just stay relevant until the next wave of realignment happens. From a fan perspective, I don't see the money and I don't really care about the exposure, right? So from my perspective, it's tough, but I think I understand why BYU is so committed to independence. And it's that's I guess in my eyes, that's the biggest life raft that they can float on until the next wave of realignment happens. So, so as, as kind of a follow-up to that, obviously, I mean, from a fan perspective, you just mentioned, right? You don't, you don't, you don't care about how much money's in there is coming in mm-hmm. from ESPN and and uh, um, each year. You care about wins. You care about the experience. Is independence is that creating a good enough experience for for the the average BYU fan? Um, you know, it was, you would. I think that answer really changes week to week uh 2017 when BYU was losing to UMass at home on senior night no right like everybody (laughs) would tell you it was the worst last year when BYU was beating a top 10 Wisconsin on the road and they're popping up on on ESPN the next day 
I mean, independence was the greatest thing in the world. So I, really, it comes down to to the ability that the team has to win games. Uh, I go back to 2014. It's probably the year that I, I gauge independence and how successful it can be the most. BYU was 4-0. and They had just knocked off a, an improved Virginia team. And I, I, if I remember right, they were – I can't remember if they were ranked. Uh, I think they were ranked going into the Virginia week, and this was the second week after that win that they were ranked. They went into a Utah State game, and Taysom Hill got hurt, and then they went on to lose the next four games, and, and, and everything kind of tanked at that point, right? But for those first four games, the, the, the amount of hype that BYU had going from a totally unranked and untalked-about team in the preseason to where they were four weeks into the season – was leaps and bounds ahead of where they ever would have been in the Mountain West had they been that unheralded in the preseason. But then it was four weeks after that, after four straight losses, yeah, it was really hard to find something to to play for. So I think that the highs of independence can be much higher than uh, than, than where BYU has been in the Mountain West Conference and even where they could get uh, as a G5 today but it is the lows are much, much lower. And it really just comes down to wins and losses. And I think that's the biggest problem that fans have is BYU and the Mountain West Conference won games. And I think that it's a little bit of a misconception to say they were winning games because of the conference. Right now, BYU is losing games that they would be conference opponents. They're losing to Utah State. They're losing to Boise State. So if they were in a conference and they were still losing to Utah State and Boise State, like things wouldn't be any better than they are today. And I think people would still complain about that. So, Jeff, you know, a lot of talk recently have been like a gap in talent maybe between Utah and, and BYU. You know, with Cougar Sports Insider being part of the 247 Sports uh, and really hitting recruiting hard, with BYU being an independent, has that changed how they recruit since the days when they were in, in the Mountain West? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I think... Uh, I think recruiting as a whole has changed from 10 years ago when they were in the Mountain West. And so, yes, I think is the answer to your question. I, I think that uh, recruiting the rankings have taken a, a, a slip, right? Especially over the last three or four years, recruiting rankings for BYU, uh, it's indisputable. They, they're on a downward trend. I think what BYU has done has been really interesting because some of these classes, uh, even the class, the class of like 2018, I think it was finished, Oh, it finished ranked like 78. It may have even been in the 80s. I mean, it was one of BYU's lower classes that I can remember. But what happened that next year was that like 12 out of the 16 signees that joined the program that year played as true freshmen, and they played really well. It's been interesting to me to see the kind of the approach from uh, Kalani Sataki and his staff since he's taken over this job. It really reminds me of what Utah was doing the last few years that they were in the Mountain West, and even those early years of the Pac-12, where they would recruit a guy like Marcus Williams, who was a low two-star recruit that was recruited as a running back by most schools, and schools didn't see it. I think he had offers from like New Mexico State and in Utah. Utah brought him on board, immediately flipped him over to, to safety, and we all know what happened with Marcus Williams, right? And so I think that there's been this approach that BYU is really trying to find these under-the-radar guys and it's hurting recruiting rankings, but they are playing more freshmen and sophomores over the last couple of years, and they're playing at a, at a high level. So it's, a, it's an interesting question. Uh, I'm a recruiting rankings guy. I believe in the star system. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's the best that, that we've got. 
And if you look at that, if you look at those recruiting rankings as kind of your, your indicator of talent, right? Uh, it's an indisputable fact that that gap between Utah and BYU is growing every year. Uh, it, a lot of people don't subscribe to the star's belief. And so if you don't, there's an argument to be had that, that BYU is, is about where they've been and Utah's better and the gap is probably increasing, but it isn't increasing at the rate that some people say. Uh, so it's really interesting. And BYU's biggest problem, I think the, the ones and twos, uh, they're not quite at Utah's level, especially at the skill positions. They're not at Utah's level. Uh, but BYU's ones and twos along the offensive line, defensive line, especially the linebackers, quarterbacks, they're, they're pretty good most of the time. It's, it's when you get into scholarships, you know, 25 through 85, the BYU's just not there. And so I think where the biggest uh, diversion, where the gap is really happening is depth. Utah can now turn to three and four star guys uh, and on um, scholarship number, you know, 65 is a three or four star guy. Solomon Ennis is coming off the bench, right? He's, I think he's the fifth best wide receiver this year. Uh, the dude was a, a really highly touted recruit who 10 years ago would have been Utah's number one as a true freshman. So yeah, the gap is, the gap is widening. Uh, I do think that there is an argument to be made that BYU's ones are still about where they've always been. Uh, it, but the gap is, yeah, it's depth that the, the depth is where things are really changing. We're talking to Jeff Hansen from CougarSportsInsider.com. Now, Jeff, I'm going to kind of put you on, on the spot. What are your expectations for this season as far as a win-loss for the Cougars? And then as well, what's your prediction, if you have one, for the BYU-Utah game? Sure. You know, I, I would hope, to me, BYU, I mean, everybody's putting the weight, everybody in BYU fans is putting a lot of weight in this Utah this Utah game that you got to win this game, you got to end the streak. Uh, for me, uh, in order for BYU to get back to where BYU was, they've got to start beating teams that, that you could make the argument that they should beat. Uh, they should beat. If you're if BYU of old is here, they should be beating Utah State every year. So to me, that's, you know, the Utah State game and the Boise State game are kind of the swing games for what makes this season successful for BYU. Even if BYU starts 0-4 as they open up in this, this September schedule as a gauntlet, if they if they start 0-4, but then they finish the season and they beat those teams, Boise State and Utah State, and they get to eight wins and run the table the rest of the the rest of the way once the P5 teams are off of the or out of the way, that's still I think a really successful season for where BYU's at. Baby steps of progression aren't really what BYU fans are accustomed to. In my eyes, that's what needs to happen this year is just progression. So eight eight wins would be fantastic. I'd probably put BYU right there, seven or eight wins on the year. I think they can maybe steal a win in this September against one of these P5 teams, but I do think they'll probably drop a game to like a, you know, a Southern Florida or somebody that they maybe should beat, but they probably drop a game along the way. So seven wins is probably where BYU ends, seven or eight wins. Uh, as for the Utah game, man, I, I am a first, I'm a believer in curses, and I don't know who did what to Kyle Whittingham's family or what he's <laughs> done with the football gods or what it is. But there is something, especially if you just look at the ways that BYU has lost some of these Utah games with block field goals and two-point conversions that don't work. And then one year they had three chances to make a field goal and they still couldn't do it. I mean, there's, there's, there's just been so many crazy ways that BYU has lost uh, that I, I'm a firm believer that the football gods just don't want BYU to ever win this game again. So I, I can't go against the football gods. And really, from a, a realistic standpoint, I, I think I think if you were to take the Utah logo 
off of their helmets and put on a, a USC logo or a Washington logo, uh, BYU is a 14-point underdog going into week one. But because it's Utah, everybody's going to think the rivalry game, they've got a shot, and they do. They always have a shot in the rivalry game. But this Utah team is the best Utah team that I've seen. Obviously, I cover BYU. I cheer for BYU. But I I think I probably more than maybe any other BYU fan keep a a really close tab on what Utah is doing. And this is the best Utah team I've seen since 04. I think they're better than the 08 team. And because of that, I just don't think that that BYU takes this win uh, in week one. I I think it will probably be closer than than most Utah fans would want it to be. I think it's a 10-point game, uh, but I don't feel like it's it's a game that BYU can win. Well, Jeff, I think you're going to make a lot of Utah fans happy with that answer. (laughs) I'm not going to complain about it. Uh, So you're with uh, CougarSportsInsider.com. Where can people kind of, uh, as you as we get closer to the to the rivalry game, where can people kind of you know read your stuff, kind of get more more knowledge about about the Cougars going in the game? Yeah, CougarSportsInsider.com. We're constantly uh, pushing out content and different things. We work really closely with. uh, the guys at Ute Zone, we have a really great relationship with them. So we're working in conjunction with them a lot of the time. That's where all of our stuff is going to be. You're going to see us on Ute Zone over the next couple of weeks leading up to the game. And then uh, on Twitter at Rakutu10, uh, constantly just you know tweeting out sarcasm and, and lame gifts. That's kind of my, my thing on Twitter. Uh, that's, where, that's where you can find me. Awesome, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much uh, for, for jumping on and we'll be in touch. Sure. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun for us to bring on guests that cover other teams uh, so we can really get you know that first, first-hand experience of what's going on uh, with Utah's opponents. So kind of expect that. Uh, we'll continue what we've done in, in past seasons uh, where we try to bring as many guests as we can, especially from outside of the state of Utah, to give you that knowledge. That was a good interview with uh, with Jeff. He had uh, a lot of really good insights, and uh, yeah, I was I was kind of I've been uh, intrigued by this uh, this whole independence thing, and and uh, his answer as far as you know if you if BYU fans are happy with it, and if it's something they're going to continue on in the future, you know as I, as I mentioned my my opinion on it, oof, man. If I was a BYU fan, that'd be a that'd be a tough pill to swallow to to continue to go down this route, but. Oh, I you think know, it is what it is for them. I think it's definitely hard. I mean, not having to something to fight for at the end of the year, like a conference, um, it, it's hard. You know, I love oh, that's one thing I love about being the Pac-12 is there's something always you can be fighting for. If you're out, if you're out of the division championship, you can still be fighting. You know, for a better bowl, whether you mean thir- second or third team. Um, so, I mean, that was a great question you asked, Scott. And, and honestly, I mean, Jeff gave an, an honest um, answer to it, and I'm just glad we're in the Pac-12. All right, so as we look into this Utah-BYU game, yeah, I thought it'd be fun just to kind of go over the, the years of the streak, this this beautiful streak that's eight games now, hopefully will become nine by the end of this week. I, I always enjoy good streaking. They are beautiful. <laughs> so as we look back over the course of the years, let's kind of re- reminisce of things that happened. between the 32 and 33. 
Here's Mitch Payne. And it's blocked! It's blocked! Utah got back there, got a pull on it, and they will win the game! So the first game of, of the streak, we got to go all the way back to 2010. Utah wins the game 17-16. BYU led 13-0 in the fourth. Utah comes back, takes the lead, and Brandon Burton blocks the field goal. Yeah, I, I remember that game. That was the infamous Greg Rubel impossible call um, where uh, um, I believe an interception took place, and then BYU intercepted, I believe it was Jordan Wynn, Am, 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 am I getting that right? And uh, then they turned around and fumbled it. They fumbled it, and he thought it was impossible. <laughs> and then Devonte Christopher had that uh, kind of uh, circus catch in the end zone that got us that first score and kind of got us going again. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Brandon Burton. I still remember watching from that north, from the north end zone, watching him come around the end and just getting a piece of that ball. That was fantastic. Apple is the guy they went to early in the Texas game last week in a bad snap. Higgs loses it again back in the end zone. Utah recovers. Touchdown Utes. Derek Shelby with the loose ball recovery. 2011 Utah blowout game in Provo, 54 to 10. It was only a 14 to 10 um, lead at halftime for the Utes, and then they went on and scored 40 points in the second half. I, I remember we all watched it outside on a big screen in, in, in the backyard, and that was a fun yep. game. The doors came off on that game, and, and it was just so fun to watch. Utah just kind of put it on BYU and the fans. I mean, Jake Heaps was an absolute disaster in that game. Bronco Mendenhall, another epic meltdown from his team. Yeah, I mean, uh, seems like that was uh, not that long ago, 2011. You got to get rid of the ball. Nelson just flung up there almost for grabs incomplete. And time has run out. I don't know how they're going to clear this field off. Fans have flooded the field. BYU is saying there's one second left in the quarter. What we just saw, they're right. After review, there's one second on the game clock. The ball will be placed at the 34-yard line. Titus and send it to overtime. Live ball, fans flooding the field, and false love is finally tackled, but a flag comes out. We have a live ball foul. Live ball foul. While the play was still alive, the crowd rushed the field. That's a live ball, 15-yard penalty from the 44. One on time down at the 19. Holy wow. smokes. Off the right hash, a 36-yard attempt to try to send it to overtime. And it hit the oh <laughs> And the game does it. And for a third time, the Utah fans storm the field. It is officially over. Third time was the charm for the fans. The following year, 2012, 24 to 21. This was, to me, one of the craziest games. The fans rushed the field three times. So there was that incomplete pass. The, everyone thought the game was over. The fans ran the field. They did the replay. There was one second left. They had to clear the field. A BYU attempted a 51-yard field goal to tie the game. It was blocked. 
and the referees deem that the, ref that the fans ran onto the field while the ball was still in play. So BYU got to move it up, had a 36-yard field goal and missed it, and the fans rushed for a third time. All three of us were at that game, and, and to me, that's, I think, one of the most memorable things I can remember. And I just remember yelling, like, just get the team in the locker room. Like, don't even let them have another chance. But three times rushed in the field, and it was fun. That was crazy. And I thought, I mean, BYU had so many chances to tie that one up, and it was just... Well, it's just, just typical of the streak. Not their time. Well, the, the, the funny thing about that game is, is, I mean, really, the streak really should be at 11 because we won that game three different times. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here you got some Pac-12 referees doing what they do. They gave BYU a second opportunity. <laughs> then... I mean, I'm sorry, that last opportunity where they, they flag the fans and move up, move them up 15 yards. That and then he joke. And then he, and then he just doinks that thing. I mean, that was just sweet, sweet justice. Um, that would that, that would have been awful to lose on the third attempt at the field goal. But uh, was that the game that Falsev was on the floor, on the field crying? Yes, there's a there's a famous picture on the internet nowadays that uh, every rivalry game that thing just continues to get cycled through. <laughs> I, I will say I think there was a, a crimson lunch in after that game, and Utah may have blown up a picture that showed and circled some BYU coaching staff well out onto the field before any fans ran out. So I'll leave that at that. The following year. Well, see, that was that was the, actually the the first sign of a third party in the officiating booth um, in Pac-12. <laughs> it all started back then. Dixon was a was back back in 2012. Dixon was going against us. Hill is going to have to heave this one in the end zone, but they flush him out. He barely gets it off. Incomplete. And no flag on the play as Mitch Matthews was in the area and a chorus of boos raining down on the officials. You're going to see receiver DB tangled up. Oh, he pulled the, the defender into him. He sure did. He's, he's trying to fight to get the call, and they're going back and forth. That's a smart move by Matthews. And the officials getting that one right as it plunks Matthews on the ground. The fans wanted the penalty. Obviously, Van Noy wanted it, but Matthews just as guilty there, the culprit. In a wild finish, why not, in this, in this rivalry? The next year, 2013, down in Provo, this was going to be the last game uh, for, a, for a while, and, and Utah comes away 20-13. to 13. Uh, Kyle Winningham said after the game, this one is huge. Our senior class now has never lost to these guys. Four straight years we've won, which means our junior class and sophomore class will never lose to them either because of the two-year break. So even in 13, Winningham was calling all the other classmen that they wouldn't be losing to BYU. But as we, as we look at the game, there's a lot of controversial calls. Uh, Norwood returning the punt. Did he touch it or did he didn't? And then the, the flopping P.I. at the end of the game when Mitch Matthews grabs the D.B. and pulls him down, trying to get a P.I. There's no flag. BYU goes nuts, but Utah gets the gets the win at 20-13. to 
Well, and, and let us not forget, this was the Kyle Van Noy Super Bowl. You know, all, all offseason, they were kind of saying, hey, Utah's our Super Bowl. They were putting so much emphasis on this game, and uh, uh, Kyle Van Noy senior year ended up going 0 for 4 against Utah. You know, th- those are the types of things that, you know, we, we, we need not forget and make sure that those are in the record books to be, be told to uh, prosperity. I'm lucky enough to, to be one of the many players on the football team that actually has never lost to these bastards. Which leads me to end and say, this is Utah's world and BYU's living in it. A slant. Intercepted. Second turnover in the game. This could be a pick six. One man to beat. Touchdown, Tevin Carter. And Utah dominates here early. Deflected. Picked off on the sideline. Almost another pick six. Carter again. He has one touchdown and he set up a possible second. Play action, steps up in the pocket, and he's hit on the release. There's the third interception. This is another pick six, folks. This is Hatfield taking it to the house. Four possessions, four turnovers, two pick sixes. First down and 10, and the run play is stopped. And, uh, oh, no. Five possessions and five turnovers. I really feel sorry for for my Mormon friends at BYU. You know, they don't drink. <laughs> you know, this game would drive you to it. So they didn't play in 14. They played in 15 in Las Vegas. And that one had a lot of hype going around it. And mainly because in those bowl games, the teams do a lot of things together. The nights leading up to the game. So we had the infamous Tom Hackett quote uh, regarding BYU. So the game was really crazy. In the first eight minutes, there's five turnovers uh, by BYU, and Utah went up 35 to nothing. But then, you know, Utah's offensive woes that season really kicked into high gear, and you know they only won 35 to 28. But Winningham was not happy at the end of the game. Uh, but Utah does get the win. It was A Rod's offensive woes that kicked in. Now, when when I'm old, once I have grown old and I've lost all my hair, my teeth have fallen out. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in my recliner and I'm gonna pull my grandkids up onto my lap, put my teeth back in, and I'm gonna tell them about this game. <laughs> I'm gonna tell them that they will not believe it. They will not believe that Utah scored so many points so quickly, 35 nothing. And a half, or no, I believe I guess it was 35 7 and a half. It was 28 nothing right off the right out of the gate. Yeah, like it matters. I'm an old grandpa when I'm telling this story, <laughs> they're not gonna know. And then, and then we don't score the rest of the way. Grandpa's gonna have some profanities flying about a <laughs> rod and his offense. I'll tell you what, that was that's a game that uh, will go down. 
for so very many reasons. But man, what what a fun game! Utah did not want to be in that bowl game. We we really got screwed. Mm-hmm. We should not have been in that bowl game. We really should have been playing in a Holiday Bowl, even maybe an Alamo Bowl. Um, at one point, was we were ranked third in the country. It was it was bogus that we got hosed that way, but uh, it was it was kind of a fun consolation to beat up on BYU like them. And that was back to back years uh, in the in the Vegas Bowl. So yeah, I think Utah they they wanted a better bowl. They deserved a better bowl. Uh, what you said, Scott, and and the powers to be uh, pulled some strings to make that happen. Play clock at fifteen. Taysom settles into the gun. Utes by one. BYU goes for two. Brown motions. Snap Hill. Taysom quarterback draw. Caught at the three-yard line. He goes down. Oh, boy, they had no blocking at all in that gap. And 20-19 is your score. So jumping ahead to 2016, this is Kalani Sataki's first game. Utah wins at 20-19. This was an epic game. BYU marches down they're down 20 to 13 they march down they get a touchdown and they go for two for the win and they get stuffed yeah that was that was that was a rough game i mean kyle had the chance late in that game to go for a field goal um or to go for it a short fourth down which had they gotten it would have sealed the game and he ended up kicking the field goal and uh, and the rest is history. But Utah kind of, I mean, that was the game. Utah turned the ball over six times. Very uncharacteristic of Utah. Um, they gave BYU every opportunity to win that game and the streak. And even with doing so, could not get it done at Rice-Eccles. Your sophomore quarterback, Tyler Huntley, had almost 400 yards of total offense. What makes that kid tick? He's a playmaker. He's got a ton of confidence. He's got the field general mentality you look for in a quarterback. He's athletic, and uh, he's going to get nothing but better. You watch. 2017, 19-13 Utah wins. This one I, I didn't re- really remember very much about, um, but looking into it, 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 I think it's definitely the game where Huntley really stepped into his own. Uh, he threw for over 300 yards at 389 yards total, but all Utah could get was field goals. They weren't turning into touchdowns. In fact, they only had one touchdown as a five-year run by by Huntley, so that allowed BYU to kind of to hang in the game, make it a, a little bit closer. But Utah's defense did a, a great, outstanding job. Held BYU to only 230 yards. They created three turnovers to, to keep the streak at seven games. Yeah, that was probably one of out of the out of all the games in the streak, probably the one that's you know the least memorable. Just not a lot to it. There's no controversy. Wasn't uh, wasn't all that uh, an exciting game to watch out of the gates early, um, you know, kind of a, as you mentioned, a field goal fest. But they keep they keep the wins coming and keep that streak alive. Here's Shine plowing his way, still on his feet. They can't keep him out, and this game is tied. Fourth down with Riley Burt, the lone back. They're going to give it to him. Swarmed and stopped. John Pettisini, Chase Hansen. Eight wins in a row against BYU. BYU has all three of its timeouts. This is Jason Shelley. Can he get there? 
exclamation point. And now we come to number eight. It was just last year in 2018. Utah was down by 20 points in the third. They come back. They win it 35-27 to 27 on the back of Jason Shelley and Amon Shine. They're backups at quarterback and wide receiver. What a miracle game. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That game, I mean, you're, Utah had just won the Pac-12 South, which was had been a goal since joining the conference had finally done it you get you get so excited the next week you're getting your shot back at washington in the pac-12 title and it really just left the rivalry in a weird situation because it really was a meaningless game for utah you didn't want to get guys injured um you know and i know byu fans do not want to hear that they don't want to hear that it was not important but at the end of the day had the rules roles been reversed and BYU is in that situation they'd be saying the exact same thing there was something bigger a week later Utah was not ready to play and it was clear they they came out of the gates very lackadaisical we're not playing well early and I mean heck they weren't playing well into the third quarter and it was just just an ugly performance you know we kind of heard things whether or not um, the coaching staff wanted to keep guys out or if uh, and make sure that they stayed healthy for the following week against Washington in the title game. Um, so I think there were just so many, so many moving parts and such a different mentality for this game than what we've seen in years past and what we're going to see next Thursday. So it's, it's kind of a hard game to really um, put your arms around, but that comeback really led to one of the funnest fourth quarters that I've been in Rice-Eccles Stadium. That place was electric as Utah just mounted that comeback. And, and uh, w- I mean, what a game. It was a lot of fun, at least, the la- at least the, a quarter and a half. And that was one of the loudest experiences I've ever been in Rice-Eccles. It, it was phenomenal. Uh, going back to what Jeff said earlier and when we talked to him, I think this game really demonstrated Um, the gap between the twos and the threes between the two programs. So that's kind of a recap um, of of the current streak that's been going on. Yeah, I kind of threw up on on Twitter today at Utah Man Podcast. You know, I I asked, what are your favorite memories during this current streak? Uh, For me, it was the fans rushing the field three times, uh, the five straight turnovers in in Vegas, and, and got a lot of great responses. The big Cal Ute he said in 2016, the two-point conversion, that was for all the marbles. Uh, I think, and then probably the number one thing we're, we're getting is is what happened last year. Uh, at Colby, Utah Man 3, said last year was great. He sat with a Utah fan, or he sat with a BYU fan, and, you know, kind of went back and forth when BYU's up 20 to nothing. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's what rivalry should be. It should be fun. Mr. Mr. Wasash has the 54-10 beatdown in 2011. A lot of great memories over the co- the course of the year. What what are you guys? What were you when you think of this streak? What kind of the first memories that pop into your mind? The two stick out: the 54-10 whooping uh, early on, and then uh, last year when it looked bleak, we thought this it felt like the streak was coming to an end. And then that massive third end of the third quarter and fourth quarter comeback. I think that was. I mean that was one of that was one of the funnest games I've ever been to. Yeah, I, I think for me what what sticks out is the is the the twenty fifteen Vegas Bowl because it, it's it's you know, we've never we've never matched up in a in a bowl game before. 
So it's, it's just such there was there was something different on the line, a different experience, um, a different lead up to the games too. Quite frankly, with that much time towards the end of the season to just focus on the Vegas Bowl, and then you come out and you know you have two two very contrasting halves where Utah dominates the first half, BYU quite frankly dominates the second half, and Utah Utah is lucky to hold on. I mean, I, uh, to me, that's, you know, that's one memory in this streak that, that that's just a lot of fun to think back on. And obviously, you know, a lot of those that have been mentioned on Twitter, Ryan, the 54 to 10. Um, but uh, I'll tell you what, here, here's to hoping uh, this streak continues and we get uh, we get uh, at least one more to add it on to it. Uh, so let me just end it with this last memory, because I think it really just showcases everything. Uh, this the streak uh, comes from DHL. Uh, he says the go ahead Jason Shelley touchdown run last year, and then him jumping into the muss after the game. I yeah, I mean, you remember that picture of Shelley and Shine just right there in the middle of the muss? I think that is what what the streak has been. All right, so as we wrap this show up, let's give our predictions for this rivalry game uh, coming into the game. The lines, it's been moving between four to, f- to six points in Utah's favor. Scott, we'll start with you. Where are you going with your with your prediction and what's your score? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this game and, and trying to kind of put put a score together how I think, think this game's going to go. Obviously, this is tough because game one, they're always a little tough to predict. You really don't know what you have until you get it out there. And even, you know, in game ones, I mean, we saw last year how, how Utah was so different those first three to four weeks of the season versus how they were the, the entire rest of the season. And it just takes them some time to get going. That's my, that's my big concern with this game is you've got BYU is so hyped up. They are so desperate to get a win. They're going to be at home. And Utah just has not come out of the gates in game ones outside of maybe, you know, those two Michigan games really playing at a high level. So that, that to me would be uh, the biggest concern. I, I kind of see this, the score I have, I got Utah 31 and I've got BYU 20. I, I got him scoring a touchdown and kicking a bunch of field goals. I think they come out ready. I don't, I think, I think the first half of last year was an anomaly. I think Utah was looking ahead to the Pac-12 championship, they weren't really focused on that game. I, I really think the talent gap is far apart between these two thing, teams, and I think Utah comes out and whoops them 34-17. I'm kind of thinking the same lines as you guys. I like the game early in the season, uh, whether the the first game or the or the second game. I, I could go either or. Much rather have it at the beginning than at the end of the season. Uh, but this Utah team, they're confident. Um, talking to them during camp, they know that they're getting a lot of national attention right now. They know that they're getting talked a lot about for playoffs. But I don't think they're getting cocky. And I don't think they're getting full of themselves. But I think that they're just they're carrying themselves with a lot of confidence. And I think that's going to carry over to this game. Uh, with it being a rivalry game, though, you kind of never know really what to expect. Some weird things can happen. As as we talked about the last eight games, there's always something kind of weird that that happens. Uh, luckily, it's gone in Utah's favor, and I think it will continue to go that way. I have Utah 28, BYU 17. 
Either either way, they're looking like comfortable wins. So let's uh, let's hope that uh, that's the case. And we just, uh, as in the famous words of Kyle Whittingham, leave no doubt. Take care of business. You got to come out of the gates. You can't have all this uh, all this national pub <laughs> come your way and lose game one out of the <laughs> gates to BYU. You just you can't. They got to take care of business. So I think I'll do it for this episode. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? You can find me at Uteman underscore forever. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. You can always subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, you can always go to our home at UtahManPodcast.com. And hopefully Utah starts the season 1-0 and and go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Is it breathing or is it like a solid sound? <laughs> it, it sounds like uh, Winnie the Pooh in the blustery day. <laughs> Happy Wednesday, Eeyore. Have fellows and woozles are very confusal. <laughs> Over that or under? <laughs> Why do I sound like I'm four? <laughs> We've got to decide if we're going to be above or below the number I put out. I'm setting the over-under at 3.5 um, times Cam will say he hates me. <laughs> I'm going over. <laughs> in one show or in the whole season? In one, one show. show. <laughs> take, show. The, take the over.